0: Amen. Psalm 83. Now give your attention to the reading of God's Word. I'll be preaching from Psalm 59. These are the words of God. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me, and behold, you therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. Selah. At evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth, swords are in their lips, for they say, Who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength. For God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride and for the cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath "'Consume them that they may not be, "'and let them know that God rules in Jacob "'to the ends of the earth, Selah. "'And at evening they return, they growl like a dog "'and go all around the city. "'They wander up and down for food and howl "'if they are not satisfied. "'But I will sing of your power. "'Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, "'for you have been my defense and refuge "'in the day of my trouble. "'To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, "'for God is my defense, my God of mercy.'" These are the words of God. Thank you, Lord, for this psalm and for the book of psalms. Open up our hearts and minds to understand and be formed by these psalms, that we might see your power and your mercy given for your people, and confirm in us that we are your people. For we ask this in the merciful name of Jesus, and amen. Amen. Please be seated. So it is sanctity of your life. Sunday, what is human life? Who values it? Who determines what makes its value? And this psalm teaches us and instructs us quite a bit. In fact, uh, um, I'm, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment about applying this verse even in our situation. And, and the importance of understanding, as we've gone through um, these psalms, that not only do we have many troubles, and therefore many psalms that talk about many troubles, we have many enemies. Do you even know all the enemies that are listed in Psalm 83 that we just sang? Do you know all the different situations? You can find all of them in the scriptures. Enemies of God abounding. We're all enemies of God until by his mercy he he puts us down in the vindicating wrath of Jesus Christ and makes us his friends, transforms us, brings us back to life. So it is no insult to the rest of the world for us to say they are enemies of God. We all were enemies of God. And this, this psalm and all of these psalms so much proclaim the mercy of God upon sinners. But nevertheless, we must not be soft in our words to the world. We must not be soft about who the enemies of God are. Sometimes those enemies are turned directly against you personally in some way or directly against a particular generation in a particular city at a time. Or we might see that as we pray for those who are persecuted in other lands, direct persecution upon them, we can pray and and sing with regard to those enemies and that God would be merciful to our brothers and sisters in those situations. We certainly can remember the enemies of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ who saw to it that he was crucified for no good reason. And you see that in this psalm as well. We are with another psalm on troubles. Troubles have abounded throughout these um, psalms that we've been going through. But we come to the last two that we're going to be dealing with in this series. And Psalm 59 and 60 are going to deal with the bookends of of David's troubles. They're they're going to deal with different troubles that took place before and after all of these other troubles that we have looked at. Psalm 59, this one, is ascribed early on in David's public life, an, an episode early on in David's public life, and then Psalm 60, which we'll deal with, Lord willing, next Lord's Day with an event long into David's reign. On this longer collection of psalms, speaking about this collection of psalms of David's troubles, Spurgeon writes, strange that the painful events in David's life should end in enriching the repertoire of national minstrelsy. And I wanted to give that quote just so I could say the word minstrelsy. (laughs) Where else do you get to say that? He goes on. He says, Out of a sour, ungenerous soil spring up the honey-bearing flowers of psalmody. The music of the sanctuary is no small degree indebted to the trials of the saints. Affliction is the tuner of the harps of sanctified songsters. Did you hear that? Affliction is the tuner of the harps of sanctified songsters. So this psalm will take us down familiar paths that we've been going down in these psalms and deepen, I hope, the comfort and even delight that we are to have in our particular troubles. As we've gone through those psalm, these psalms, I hope you've seen over and over again that you have troubles and the Lord knows. We have troubles and the Lord knows. The enemies, of, uh, the enemies of God are oftentimes our enemies. And of course, the battle within our own souls to fight against the flesh and the work of the world and the devil is an ongoing battle. It never ends. But we, what we are learning in these Psalms is that we are, we're not to deny them. We're not to be stoics and just stand and take it. We're to learn to fight, and we're to learn to fight like Christians. We're to learn to fight with joy in our heart because we know who has won the battle in the end. We know whose we are. We know who is going to take us all the way to the end to a final victory. And we learn in these Psalms then to be honest in our crying out to God and honest as Christians by faith and the work of his spirit to cry out to God with joy before the troubles are taken care of, before they're all gone. It is, it is a glorious journey. It's good teaching. It's, it's good instruction for our hearts and minds and souls. Just a little bit of overview and background of, of Psalm 59 then as we, as we dive into it. The psalm easily breaks down into four sections. The first seven verses record David's pleas for help and sets forth his woes. And then in verses 8 through 10, the singer declares his confidence in the one he pleads to. So he, 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 he cries out, lays out his situation, and then he immediately declares his confidence that God can take care of this. Not only can God take care of this, he's going to take care of this. And then after that, in verses 11 through 15, just as we might, we've we've declared our confidence, we go back to pleading for mercy. We're still in the the thick of it. And so he goes back and he continues on declaring his enemies to be prowling about him like an angry pack of wild dogs. That's the second time. Both times he talks about them as, as these scavenger dogs that are just circling around and ready to devour whenever they can. And then... In the final verses, he returns and ends with a song of praise over God's power and mercy, verses 16 and 17. He knows whom he has believed, but he cannot simply rest in that. What happens is he must sing about him, and he must sing to him. So having worked through his trials and his troubles before God, declaring his confidence in God, returning to the trials again, he finds that he must sing to him. He must sing as he's overwhelmed with the mercy and power of the God that he is praying to. This is the love of the psalmist. This is the love the psalmist has for his God. And, and, and then he, he, you can see what's happening, that affliction tunes his harps to sing to God, to sing and play before God. Now, the context, the inscription in verse 59 is to the chief musician, again, so this is to be sung in, um, in, in the public worship, to the chief musician set to do not destroy, a victim of David, when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. So this is the time when Saul's men surrounded David's house um, and it, to kill him. This is a time where, the, where envy has led to murder, Saul is envious of David. He's envious of how much the people love David. He's envious of, of, of the fact that his, his anointing has been taken away, and David apparently has now been anointed by God. He's envious of, that the people are following with David and are crying out and singing songs about David and not him. And, he's, and he wants out of that envy, he wants David killed. Saul had lost his anointing of kingship due to his disobedience to command to God's command to kill Agag and all of the Amalekites. That's in 1 Samuel 15. David is privately anointed as the new king by Samuel in the next chapter. Meanwhile, the spirit of the Lord departs from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubles Saul. David, interestingly, David is the one who is called and sent to provide music, musical comfort that would cause the spirit to depart. So David, who's already privately been anointed knows that there's this distress, distressing um, spirit on Saul, and he goes and plays his harps and, and, and sings to him, and that would cause the distressing spirit to leave. David is serving the Lord and faithfully trusting God in God's perfect timing. In the next chapter, verse seven, in chapter 17, David is the one who approached Saul to fight the Philistine giant when all of the, all of the Israelite army refused to or afraid. And David on that day killed Goliath, and we are told he also won a great victory for the children of Israel. So much so that Saul then sets David over his army, and David was very successful there as well. So and and, and so much so that a song about him was sung throughout the cities of Israel. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens thousands. What did they say, Saul thinks? And he's envious. Several other events occurred that caused Saul to hate David and to be afraid of him. One evening, the distressing spirit came over Saul, and he tried to pin David to the wall, throwing his spear at him, right in front of all the dinner guests. But David escaped in chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, which leads us to the event that apparently inspired this psalm. I pick it up in 1 Samuel 19, verse 11. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He's sick. And Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. So you have to remember, we're, we're in a situation here where David is just arising up into his public ministry. He, he's done nothing wrong. There, there's nothing that, that he has done wrong at all. He's just been faithful before the God. He's been so faithful, he's willing to stand before a giant, sling a stone at him, set him down, lead armies, serve, serve the king whom he, who he knows, God has said, is going to be put down. But he's faithfully serving God. He's done nothing wrong. He's really an innocent figure in the midst of a much greater narrative. And so that's why in verse 3 of of Psalm 59, it says, For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. I I haven't done anything for which they should be coming at me like this. And he, he pleads his righteousness with regard to these things before God. So despite doing his best for the king, he finds himself trapped in his own house with the king out to kill him. It's an unfair and difficult situation. And so let's stop there. Have you ever been in an unfair and difficult situation? Have you ever been fair, are we in a situation where the, the authorities over you are not treating you fairly and, uh, and it's not going well? It's, it's become more difficult because of it. Does the church find itself being being attacked unfairly and being placed in difficult situations over the course of the history of the church? And of course, was Jesus placed in an unfair trial and and found himself in difficult situations? In in this situation, I imagine, I I, I want to imagine this with you for just a moment. David, Michael, David's wife, saying to him, as it says in the scriptures, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. And, And she's trying to get his attention, He's busy over his desk, and he says, you're right, you're right, I need to get out of here, but hang on, I have to finish this psalm. Now, I say that only half of a joke. I think something's going on here for us to learn, to see. We're to learn how important it is to pray at all times, but immediately in times of distress, and to sing to sing with confident joy in those times as well, long before the answers have come. We need to be formed by this psalm. We need to be formed by these psalms. And so the first part of the first section, uh, the first four verses or so, telling God, he's telling God what is wrong. I do want to, well, uh, as we dive into the psalm itself, George Horn, the Puritan writes, and so consider. In these words, we hear the voice of David when a prisoner in his own house, the voice of Christ when surrounded by his merciless enemies, the voice of the church when under bondage in the world, and the voice of the Christian when under temptation, affliction, and persecution. We need to do this with all the Psalms, and I've said this to you many times, but um, we, we have a tendency, and our, our modern church today even more so as a tendency to just cherry pick our favorite verses out of the Psalms and, and then not know really what to do with the rest of it. We cherry pick the, the sweet ones, uh, the sweet verses, and we don't know what to do with the rest of it, sometimes because they don't seem to apply to us right now, which is part of the problem. Um, they actually all do. But, but you're, going, you're, you're diving into the Psalms and staying in the shallow end. The Psalms are given to us in order to meditate on, on several levels, from, like, like, like looking at a diamond and the facets of it, turning around and seeing the same shine from different, uh, from different angles and from different cuts. That's what we're supposed to do with these. And so um, commentators for centuries have talked about the Psalms in this way. You're to see the Psalms in light of, the, of, of, if you know the context of the writer, you're to see the Psalms in the context of the Old Covenant community. You're to see the psalms in the context of the life of Christ. You're to see the psalms in context of the history of the church. You're to see the psalms in the context of various situations going on in the church throughout the countries in your generation. And you are to see the psalms in light of your own personal circumstances. In fact, if you will do that, the psalms will speak to you in a far deeper way about your personal situations, about your personal trials, listen for a moment. Listen to the first four verses again and consider again in light of what we are remembering today with regard to the right to life. Listen to the voice of the unborn. Deliver me from my enemies. Oh my God, defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Don't tell me you can't meditate on those verses. And find yourself not crying out to God with them and for them. You see, don't just cherry pick the nice verses. Learn to dive in to the verses. Learn to pray them. Learn to pray for others with them. There are enemies out there, and they're slaughtering. They're slaughtering people in our midst. And God has given us the Psalms to do something about that. So in all of these different circumstances, we find that we are to first turn to the Lord. In every circumstance, in every difficulty, we find that the first thing we are to do is not to call our legislator. The first thing to do is not to turn to our bank accounts. The first thing to do is not to gather as many people as possible to join in a fight. The first thing to do is to cry out to God. Now, he may deliver in all of those different ways, but the first thing to do is to cry out to God. And to cry out for deliverance and defense that would come from him. And so we plead to him. Verses 1 and 2. If something is wrong, tell God. There's your first takeaway. If something is wrong, tell God. Tell God. Be the first, that he should be the first one that hears from you. It is true that chastisements come to us because of our sin. But many times we find ourselves accused or in trouble through no fault of our own. And in either situation, tell God. Go tell God. Many times trouble comes and you cannot point the trouble to something you've done or a fault of your own. Proverbs says, the words of the wicked are, lie in wait for the blood. Lie and wait for blood. But the mouth of the upright will deliver them. The wicked are just, they're bent on destruction. John 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. It's proverbial. It's proverbial that the enemies of God hate God, hate God's son, hate God's people, and they don't need a reason. Now, we shouldn't give them a reason. We shouldn't give them the—we the. the, the we shouldn't be jerks. We, we, we shouldn't be, you know, sinful ourselves and stuff. But but even if we are standing in uprightness, declaring God's goodness and mercy, you you know what happens. You, you, you're, you're trying to share with someone. You're trying to tell someone about Jesus Christ, um, ready to forgive your sins if you would just cry out to him. And they say, well, I, you know, I believe that, you know, God— God sees it in a number of different ways. And you say, No, I'm sorry, if there was another way, then Jesus wouldn't have died. But but because there's no other way but through Jesus, Jesus died. And you can call on him, you can be forgiven. And then they turn to you and you say, You arrogant expletive. How dare you say that Jesus and, and the next thing you know, you're under attack. You're under attack. If it's done in too public a way, you're going to lose your job. You're going, to, you're going to be called out for hate speech. Who knows what's going to happen these days, right? Just because you spoke the truth, and you did so lovingly, and you did so invitationally, like, like come, come and join the party with us. And even in today's but today's day, that it's they hated, it. they'll hate you, and they'll hate you without a cause. Psalm two speaks of. Jesus, we know, when, when it says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his Messiah. And in Acts 23, when Paul has been imprisoned, when Paul has been um, arrested in the courts, in the temple courts, and, he, and he's drawn up onto the steps... And then he he preaches the gospel, and then there's a riot, and then and then he's thrown into to the prison, and and they're not sure what to do with him. And his nephew comes and says to to uh, to Saul, he says, "Now you know, there's men who have who are ready to, they're ready to kill you." Listen, he says, um, "But not, but do not yield to them." Um, the, this is now the the soldier who's going to send um, Saul away with. Uh, I can't remember how many horsemen, chariots, and soldiers off to Caesarea for his protection. And he says, but do not yield to them for more than 40 men, 40 of them lie in wait for him. Men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. They lie in wait. They are prepared. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So troubles are, are all over. And oftentimes troubles are coming in the midst of doing just the right thing, doing the right thing. We are to cry out to God. And listen to him. He, he says in the end of uh, verse 4, Awake to help me and behold. Awake. <laughs> and this happens over and over in the, in the Psalms. Because sometimes it seems as though God's asleep. He's missing what is going on. Hey, God, what's going on? Are you awake? Are you listening to me? Is an appropriate prayer. An appropriate prayer. They were running and preparing, verse 4a, the enemies are working hard against me. So David cries out, awake, and behold. He tells him not to have any mercy upon, upon them in their wickedness, in their wicked transgression, in verse 5. And in the context, they're trying to kill the newly anointed king. For they arrogantly prowl the streets like scavenger dogs. Or um, and, and it, 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 We don't have scavenger dogs that are around our city that make it unsafe to be out at night. Uh, it, was a, it was a way of taking care of the trash, Often, uh, actually, in the, in the cities. They would put their trash out in a particular area, and then the scavenger dogs would know in the night to come. But you don't want to go out there when the, when the dogs are out, when the wild dogs are out, because it's not safe in the city at night. Maybe in our day, it's more like um, uh, gangs, gangs that are flagrantly dis- discarding the laws, belching with their mouths, doing whatever they please with an attitude that God doesn't see or hear. There is no God. We can do whatever we want. We have control of the city, and so you don't feel safe out in the streets at all. But that's not really a good um, analogy because, actually, they weren't gangs. They were men connected to the established government and proper authorities, probably wearing black jackets with big official letters on them. So there are many times, many different kinds of people that we have to be afraid of that are enemies. He goes on now and and talks about his own uh, confidence in the Lord. But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. You should hear Psalm 2 in your head there. I will wait for you, O you, his strength, for God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Well, how does one build up one's confidence in such a time of terror? Well, David writes, first of all, he writes truth. He writes truth. He knows the Lord laughs at them and holds them in derision. And so another obvious hat tip to Jesus, the antitype of, of David. In fact, we know in Psalm 2 that, um, that the, in the Apostles... Uh, quoted Psalm 2 after they had been re- released from, uh, from prison in Acts chapter 4, and they, and they declared that, uh, that the rulers that were referred to in, in, Acts, in Psalm 2 were, were referring to Herod and Pontius Pilate and the nations that they represented, Jews and Gentiles, all conspiring against them. And they prayed and they sang that psalm. And they, and they sang that psalm, and it says at the end of it that they, were, they spoke the word of God with boldness. Speaking the truth about who God is, praying the truth about who God is, singing the truth about who God is, in the midst of your troubles, brings boldness by means of the Holy Spirit. By, means of the, by the word of God, they, they were speaking with boldness. Lady Wisdom speaks to those with the same kind of confidence Listen to Proverbs 1. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones? Will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. What is she saying? She is is speaking, wisdom is speaking with confidence that if you do not turn, if you do not turn to these words of wisdom, certain destruction is coming upon you. It's with that that the the, the psalmist is able to pray. And and Habakkuk, when he's crying out to God for for God to answer and and destroy the enemies, his his, um, letter ends, The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on high hills. Strong foundation, strong legs, able to handle what is before us. We are to pray with such confidence, and we're instructed to do so even as we finish the Lord's Prayer, which we sing every Lord's Day, which I hope you pray or sing regularly with your family. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Do you see that? When we, when we sing the Lord's Prayer, we're singing the same kind of confidence that the psalmist is singing when he's singing here in Psalm 59. And even more, since Jesus has come, even more than the psalmist would understand, Jesus has come full of mercy for us regarding our most deadly foe, which is our own sinfulness and the condemnation that is upon us because of who we are by nature, what we are by nature. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He put down these enemies and raised them up in new life. He put down his enemies and raised them up in new life and praise God for that. Because who who is this God that we pray to? Who is this? And, and I thought about this as I went through and I listed all of the different names and all of the different personal characteristics that are given to God in just these short 17 verses. And, and do you pray to God and, and think about the variety of his names and what they refer to and, and the character? Do you, do you talk to God with regard to who he is or you just say, dear God? Listen, what does he say? He says, he is the God who can defend and deliver, verses one and two. He is Yahweh. That is our personal covenant God of grace, verses three, five, and seven. He's the God of armies, verse 5 He's the God of Israel our people verse 5 He is our strength verse 9 our defense and fortress verse 9 full of mercy verse 10 powerful to scatter verse 11. Our personal shield, verse 11. He is able to consume the enemies in his wrath, verse 13. And he rules over Jacob and to the ends of the earth, verse 13 as well. Write out a prayer and use all of those names, all of those characteristics of God with regard to the most difficult distress you find yourself in. And see if you don't grow in confidence of who he is, who you are serving, who you are trusting in as well. David didn't just come up with this. Certainly these were words inspired of the Holy Spirit. But I, I, I imagine him wrestling over the words, working through what is he going to say to God, thinking about all he knows about who God is in light of the circumstances. They're practically pounding at his door to kill him, and he's sitting down and writing a psalm. Should we learn from that? Yes. He goes on and says, but they're troubled. They're still pounding at the door, God. And so verse 11 begins, do not slay them lest my people forget. And I have to stop there and go, what? Because later on, he's going to tell them to consume them. And the commentators, on the one hand, aren't sure what to make of this. Do not slay them lest my people forget. And yet, think about that. Because God answered this prayer, there was a long period of David getting into trouble. And then God delivering him from Saul time and again the writing of more and more psalms, as Spurgeon mentioned, and we're less likely to forget all of David's struggles until God finally consumed Saul in his wrath. In, In other words, that prayer was answered. Saul wasn't immediately put down. He was just scattered, kind of over and over and over again. And we hear of all these different troubles, and because David had all these different troubles, you have a whole bunch of stories about God's delivering his people to think on, to meditate on, to learn to trust God in, and to sing about. Huh. Maybe that's why your trouble isn't going away right now. Maybe it's so one day you will have a testimony, or your children or your friends, or your church will have a testimony about how God delivered in his own time and in his own way, and in his faithfulness we saw his strength and enemies scattered. And we'll see it time and time again. We'll comfort one another as we've been comforted in these stories. Maybe there's more reason for the trouble that you're going through right now than you realize. And maybe it's not all just for you. Oh, maybe you're not the center of the story after all. Maybe you're one more illustration. Maybe you're one more story for us to be able to tell one another about the glorious God who saves, who ministers, who gives grace in the midst of the trouble who delivers in amazing ways at times. Maybe you're another illustration. Maybe you're another David. So, and he says, he says says that, um, might, well, might we forget God and think arrogantly of ourselves if we never had to turn to him in times of trouble? There will come a day when every tear is wiped away and every trial is departed. We stand on that. And until then, we're to learn wisdom and more about God and ourselves in the midst of ongoing trials. James says to count it all joy. Men who sin with their words and curse with their lips are full of pride, he says in verse 12. Listen to this. Blasphemy and lying go together. You know, if if you're loose with your tongue and you blaspheme God, no one should trust you to tell the truth. If you, if you are loose with your tongue and you blaspheme and curse God, you, you, no one should trust for you to tell the truth. If a leader blasphemes, blasphemes God, does not call on Jesus as Lord, no one should trust that he's telling the truth. He has his own standards for truth. Blasphemy and lying go together. Spurgeon says, he who is not ashamed to curse before God will be sure to lie unto men. Returning then to the image of scavenger dogs, David describes why they need to be put down. He says they are not getting better but worse. He says they return at evening and they growl again. They wander up and down for food and they howl if they're not satisfied. And there's something to be noticed here. Each evening they return for more. They're never satisfied with their self-serving deeds and violence for their own bellies. And we see this with the wicked today in cultural issues. First, it is simply a request for open dialogue. Okay. Then the next evening comes. Then a protest for legal acceptance. And then finally, a requirement that we give our approval. It is right then to pray and to sing. Consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be. Because they're not going to stop. There is no negotiating. There is no compromise. There might be a ceasefire for a moment. But we have to understand there are two sides there has always been this antithesis. There has always been the seed of the woman and the seed of the devil. And these things have always been at odds. With, you see it in all kinds of ways throughout the story of mankind. And the battle is on. It doesn't go away. But we know who's powerful and merciful. And so it ends. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O oh, my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. Whoever thought three years ago the Hobbes decision would come down? I know we still got abortion in our midst here in this state, but, I, but, all, but all research shows that abortions are going down in our, in our country. Whoever thought that would happen? Well, I believe it happened because a number of saints sang and prayed for God to deliver. Well, don't stop. Don't stop. Because we have a mighty God who will save and will deliver. Not on just that issue, but on countless, countless issues of wickedness that are all around us. The wicked are always unsatisfied, but we are to relish in our position that is ours in Christ. He goes on in Ephesians two after having said that we have um, after 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 having said that that we have been raised to new life in Christ in, in verse six of Ephesians two he says he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that's not just referring to our final resurrection it's referring to the church's ascension in Christ into the heavenlies to reign with Christ declaring His word by His Spirit all over this world. Anyone can be happy when times are good. Anyone can be happy when times are good. But it is the mark of faith in Christ that we can rejoice when times are still bad or look uncertain. This is not because, as I said, we are Stoics or that we refuse to face reality. We rejoice because we remember God's faithful salvation in times past. All of David's stories, all of the apostles' stories, all of your stories. Do you remember your stories? Do you write down your stories of deliverance? Do you remember how many times God has answered your prayers? Do you turn to them in the new, in the new distresses, in the new troubles? And, and, and let your confidence be, uh, be emboldened because you've seen God work. You've heard of God work. And the same God is with you today and tomorrow as well. Trusting in who he is and what he has promised, we learn to watch and sing in such a way that our hearts are encouraged and our attitudes lifted into joy. Psalm 59 takes us down familiar paths of dealing with troubles, turning our troubles, troubled souls to the comfort and delight of God's power and mercy for you, for us, for his son's bride, the church. So take it. Learn to sing with confident joy. Amen. Father, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for these psalms that we've been studying and thinking on and singing. Thank you for David's faith recorded and shared with us. Thank you for answering his prayers and letting us see what deliverance looks like. Help us take this out into our lives in the midst of our troubles and sing with such confidence and joy like David, like Christ, and like the church in all the ages. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we'll sing a similar psalm. Let's turn to number 103. We'll sing Psalm 54.